Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me this evening, we welcome Three Moves Ahead founder, Troy Goodfellow. Good evening, everyone. And we're also joined by GamesBeat's Mecca manager, Rowan Kaiser. <laughs> Hello. And uh, finally, we welcome back, after a year's absence, uh, our friend, PC Gamer Editor-in-Chief, Evan Lotti. Hey there, glad to be with you guys again. Uh, so today we're going to be digging into Subset Games Into the Breach, and Subset are the team behind uh, FTL, which we talked about a couple years ago, well, actually possibly many years ago at this point, uh, since I have no sense of how quickly time is passing. Uh, but... <laughs> Aside from some sci-fi and like roguelike trappings, uh, Into the Breach is a very different game than FTL might have led you to expect uh, in terms of a sequel. Evan, uh, you mentioned over email that like you've been obsessed with this game and it's sort of been consuming every waking thought for a while. Uh, are you still in the zone with this game? Yeah, it's it's the thing I've been mainlining over the past three weeks or so since it's been out, I think two weeks, three weeks, it's all blur, Rob. And, and I've been time shifting so much. It's hard to tell, but yeah, I didn't expect to like it as much as I did, you know, cause I played it. Uh, I, I met one of the creators, um, back at GDC last year, you know, in showing us a demo of the game. And, uh, and of course it was like really interesting and it's a great successor to FTL in, in, in some interesting ways, but I was like, well, I don't really like session, session based strategy, I like campaign based strategy where I can, you know, build up, a party of characters over time. You're, you're telling me I'm gonna have to like abandon these game, you know, these characters, these mechs, these pilots, in a roguelike format. But none of that has mattered to me um, uh, because of the strength of the design, I think, which I'm sure we'll get into. Yeah, and um, so, Rowan, why don't you take us through a little bit what this game is and how it looks and and how it plays? Um, so yeah, this game has a strange kind of look to it. Uh, it's Got a pixel art, very simplified square grid look that is not immediately appealing, to me at least. Uh, I mean, the the animations of the pixel art are all good. It just doesn't immediately scream, this is a game I must have. But when you look at like how the the aesthetics fit the design, where you have this... like. Uh, square that's tilted so it's kind of diamond in the middle of the screen and the interface is all around it in a way where you can always clearly see everything you want to see immediately um, where everything about uh, how the game works is transparent either directly or with one click or one mouse hover uh, it's it's really quite a marvel of you know elegant transparency in uh, uh strategy game design um so that's that's one of the things that initially got me over my uh my skepticism uh the storyline is that you play a group of time traveling mechs trying to fight against evil monsters and you know you take mechs and punch insects and that what's not to love about that uh and the roguelike aspect of it comes because these are a bunch of different timelines, and every time you fail on one timeline, you go on to the next one, or every time you succeed, you go on to the next one. There's just sort of an infinite amount of timelines where humanity is about to be destroyed, and you're the only people who can stop it. And this is done via a fairly simple tactical system where you have three, occasionally four units that all have 
very specific um very specific uh uh techniques that they can use to move enemies or uh give enemy status effects or just you know punch them and punch them to death and all of these things are again they're transparent and fairly easy to understand it's just how you end up combining them and the the strength of this game is that because of the simple the simplicity and the transparency you can really get a feel for these are all mostly solvable problems uh every single turn is a nice little puzzle and uh i know troy has been excited about it in terms of thinking about them as like an infinite chess puzzle generator so uh he might be good to move on to now yeah i mean there's been this kind of silly meta discussion going on on uh, twitter and social media over whether this is a strategy game or is it a puzzle game uh you know back in 2009 i might have cared about this distinction uh right now i really don't i mean each each map you know when you have um you have your mechs and you have your enemy vec your monsters you're trying to kill the maps are very small it's hard to unless you've seen screenshots of it it's hard to convey just how small these maps are they're 10 by 10 i think uh very small tiles and they're crowded with crap you've got to protect um there are buildings the buildings are the power that generates the civilization. And if you run out of power, uh, you, the whole timeline is wasted. It's run, it's done. So you have to protect these buildings. There might be assets you have to protect, uh, terraformers or special trains or special buildings. Um, so each map, maybe 10 by 10, but you don't have 100 tiles to work with. It might be working with only being able to step on effectively maybe half that, maybe uh, two-thirds of that. So it becomes a very constrained space. And in each session, in each battle, um, you have objectives to meet. And these objectives can be you have to kill so many monsters, you have to protect so many things, you have to take so little damage. So each battle becomes sort of this mini puzzle. Um, and you will not win all of the time. So I think more of a strategy game, this is where I come down with, the, if, if I cared about strategy versus puzzle, it's the fact that there is not one solution and that often there is no solution. And sometimes there is one really genius solution you've got to find. Um, and, but it only works if you have the right weapon. For example, I was in a battle where I could only win it because I had upgraded my electromech to have the electric shock that didn't damage buildings. And that allowed me to chain a shock to kill four monsters. If I hadn't chosen that upgrade... I would have lost that battle and probably the whole game. Um, that was just a choice I'd made, and it ended up working out pretty well. Uh, but each battle does play out sort of like a little chess game, especially when things get complicated, where you have to decide, what am I willing to sacrifice? Um, how much damage can my mechs take? Uh, and it's, it's kind of like a chess puzzle, because it's not just transparency, it is absolute perfect vision. It is kind of like what you get in Invisible Ink, what you get in Slay the Spire, where you know specifically what is going to happen on the next turn if you do nothing, and what specifically your actions will do to interrupt that, that progress. You know that Monster A is going to attack Building B in a straight-line shot. So you have to either block that shot, kill that monster, or move that monster out of the way so its shot does no damage. 
Um, those are your options, but it's perfect vision and perfect clarity all the way through, which is what lifts it into the puzzle realm. Uh, but because there are so many options and what team you're using um, and can you bump monsters into each other? Will that help it? I, I, it's, it's really goes beyond simply here's a problem, solve it. It goes into how much energy is left on my global grid? Can I take any grid damage now to save it up later? Um, I only, how many command points do I need uh, to buy the special weapon maybe at the end of this island? Can I just let that train get wrecked if I can't stop it? If I can't save it completely, will wrecking it be okay? Uh, so there are choices. Uh, there are options. And it's, it is... I, I finally won the other day. And I was like, oh my god, I won this thing. Um, and it, it, it's... It is a series of very... Inter- it is so different from... FTL, and I wonder how FTL fans are responding to it. One of the interesting things, that one of the things that I think is helping this game's popularity or apparent popularity is uh, that because it is transparent, people could just post screenshots on Twitter or whatever and say, here's where I'm stuck, how do I get out of this? Or, here's where I got stuck, but then I figured out a genius way to get out of it. Which is, like, you know, I could post my Hearts of Iron screenshots on Twitter and people are like, that looks cool, but they can't like jump in and say, immediately do this. You know, it's got it's got a very social aspect to it that I'm not even sure was I don't know if intended is the right word, but uh it it's something that's very beneficial for the game. I believe there's even a special UI mode you can toggle that activates um, like chess coordinates or something. I haven't turned it on, but I saw it in the menu. Yeah, they 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 have a, a notation system now, which is great. Uh, but but yeah, Troy, I'm glad you brought up the whole. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess like what genre a game fits into is like the least interesting conversation to me about yeah. anything. Um, and I think people asking that question around. Oh, is it a puzzle game? Um, because it evokes kind of some of the same feelings of solving a problem and, and like that aha moment I might have in a puzzle game. I think they're actually just reacting to the scale. That, you know, that, that I guess it's 10 by 10 grid, right? Something like that, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. where, and I think that is such an incredible secret to the game's success. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the fixed size of the grid. And, and, and I had to have taken a lot of restraint in terms of design because if you're making a game like this, there's probably a temptation like, oh, what do we have? really big maps and like well advanced wars our game is kind of like advanced wars in some ways it's pixel art it's strategy it's turn-based like you know wow that opens up a lot of different complexity and like different mission types and what if the player could have six units instead of three you know all this kind of like blue sky stuff but the fact that there is this like really static constraint on 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 the playing space means that things often feel like like you can figure them out like a rubik's cube right you know there are, there's like the number of variables are known and if i just sit here long enough i can i can work it out i can i can get a little make this turn slightly more efficient i can get two more damage on the board i can save this building you know um the the sort of horizon for possible actions both feels depending on how many enemies on the board and the exact situation and the, and the moves that they're going to make feels sometimes like just overwhelming enough that when you break make a breakthrough of like oh if i do this if i use my own unit to throw this guy here to block that it's like this amazing eureka moment um 
And I don't think that would be possible if if the grid size was much different, if it was much larger, it would make it an entirely different kind of game. It would mean an entirely different set of underlying math and possibilities um, that would sort of create a, like too much analysis paralysis, I think. So I, I think it's like, it's like, it's, you know, it's that like baby bear porridge, just the right size, just the right temperature uh, kind of scale. I think it's a big secret to its success. And each, each map is only like five turns. So you have not just constraining the map and unit size, but you have to, complete your objectives in a very small number of turns, and then, okay, you're on to the next map, um, where your goals are, once again, very limited, very few turns. Uh, and if you if you lose a mech in, like, map two of an island, and you're stuck with two mechs all the way through, your options are going to be more constrained. It, is, it really is this, this beautiful uh, alchemy of small size, uh, which... We don't see a whole lot because there's a bit, I, and uh, in really, starting like I'm, I'm like you, Evan. I like you know, I like my campaigns. I like my really, I like small size. I'm talking about about war games uh, the other week. I like my small war games, like close combat. But I also like my big war games. I like my Hearts of Iron. This is so tiny um, that I, I'm surprised it's not on mobile. Yeah, I'm sure it'll. I mean, that's got to it, be on it'll the way. Switch for sure. Yeah. Yeah, but I think I actually do like genre conversations, if only because when and why they come up is sometimes interesting to me. Like, I feel like the the puzzle game thing comes up here a little bit because it doesn't like it doesn't feel like you have an adversary necessarily, not in the way that you do in chess, right? Like, chess problems are like a subset of chess where you're where you're taking given situations and trying to find the optimal move that solves the problem you're presented with but like ideally chess there's an intelligence on the other side of the board trying to do the same thing that you are here um you know it's just bugs mr rico that like that's basically all it is uh and as far as i can tell like their moves aren't really optimized like sometimes they will queue up a series of moves that are pretty freaking deadly and will cause you to like insta lose the mission or they're really threatening one mech other times it's kind of a random series of easily parried uh advances like it's just kind of luck of the draw but in either situation no matter what happens you need to clean the stuff up as quickly and ideal like optimally uh, as possible and i think the reason this doesn't because like you know listeners of the show will like know that in general i have not and certainly i don't think the show has has not uh been particularly kind to tactics games war games that feel too puzzle like uh but i think the difference here is that Nothing nothing is hidden here. Nothing is random. Like it's not like the Panzer General thing where, oh, if you just didn't see that unit uh that was hidden and you move adjacent to it, you just get blown up and that's it. And there's there's nothing there's nothing you can do. Like you you basically need to intuit or have played the scenario before. It's it's a lot of like you 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 solve the puzzle by sort of learning its shape and size, and then the solution's pretty straightforward. Here, it's still got some of the things that I think make Panzer General and its descendants uh, classics. Like, you know, we often talk about the uh, the dance of units that you find there, right? Like, what is, like, you know, which unit leads with the leads the attack? 
and then who follows up and what position do, do you need everyone to make sure that you can basically clear the enemy out uh, over the course of a single turn before they get to reply. Uh, that's a classic dilemma in Panzer General. It is the dilemma here, but the difference is the entire game is built around that. And it's not pretending to be anything other than it is. Panzer General wants to like, you know, a lot of those games want to look like their traditional war games, uh, you know, expansive maps, lots of hidden information. This is kind of cutting all that stuff out and just getting to the heart of what, what makes those games what they are at their best, right? Where you're sort of sitting, staring at a situation and you know there's a way through here. You just can't see it yet, but you got all the time to think about it. Well, there there is another huge difference, which is a, another thing that we have talked about fairly regularly, which is the, uh, um, this is an Iron Man game. This is a roguelike. This is, you don't get to reload mm-hmm. uh, every choice. I mean, you do have a reset turn button, uh, which will let you, if you're not doing well on one turn per battle, you can use that. But there's no button that lets you like go back to the overall map and say, I don't want to do this mission. Uh, there's no button that lets you go back three turns because you've gotten yourself into a bad situation. So you know going in that everything you do is the thing that you have done. And the designers know going into making the game that this game has to be a game that is still playable and entertaining even if the puzzle is not quite working right. So it's balanced around that um, in a way that like Panzer General is balanced around reloading if you didn't move your recon unit in exactly the right place. And I think it's fairly, it seems fairly obvious to me which one of these is a more appealing method of game design. Like, one involves you failing horribly and then reloading and your failure doesn't matter, but you have the extra knowledge where this, everything is constrained within the game. And, you know, this is not necessarily only this kind of game, you know? This is one of the key differences between a Darkest Dungeon and an XCOM, right? Um, but it's the the sort of application of roguelike uh, concepts to other genres is what has been one of the most fruitful things of recent game development because you get games that have that puzzle aspect without being punishing. Or, I mean, this game is punishing in certain ways, but the punishment doesn't feel like, oh, I've just been screwed over by not having seen a dude in the forest it's this game is punishing because i didn't kill the vec quite quickly enough early on or i didn't quite get enough upgrades it's it feels like it's on it's giving the player agency over the things that they should have agency over one of the other things that i've really been tickled by is the degree to which this is all about sort of mastering your combo moves right like um the way you construct turns in this game is is one of the other things that makes it really satisfying. Like one of the things the game teaches you really early on is um, in some ways, all the units behave like they're on a pool table. Uh, you know, they'll sort of clack into each other and they'll, they'll do extra damage. Uh, but between the sort of uh, knockback, the, the sort of collision damage and the various forms of knockback attack that exist And then as you go through the campaign, you get the opportunity to unlock new squads and new types of mechs, basically. You start getting even more, like, oblique 
ways of dealing with the VEC um, and learning how to combine all those elements and fig- figuring out like what the game is really asking you to do with the lineup of mechs you've got is, um, I think, a hell of a lot more satisfying than just sort of repeating various forms of like, you know, first you hit with the hit with the artillery and then the armor, you know, then the, then the army hits first with its, you know, entrenchment busting ability. You know, th- this feels like with each turn, especially because of the way the maps change up and uh, there's, there's usually like dynamic variable elements on the map as well. Uh, it feels like this game keeps throwing surprisingly like fresh and novel dilemmas at me. Uh, which that's another thing I can't like. I cannot believe this game so consistently feels roughly fair, uh, but also like with tons of variety. I think what you're touching on is one of my favorite aspects. Um, just the I guess they're they're called squads within the game, and there's probably nine or ten of them. I think ten, terrific. And just the way they they all sort of feel like different martial arts styles to me in, in their implementation, right? Where you know, if, if, if you, and well, one, in one case, uh, one of them is modeled after judo, seemingly the steel judoka, which, um, I believe the, the sort of bulky, the bulky mech is called the judo mech. And he like throws mechs over, over his back behind him. But the way they call all kind of operate with very asymmetrical techniques where, you know, one, one set of guys is based on pure damage output. Um, another set, like um like the rustling hulks use like this electric electric smoke or kind of like lightning storms almost that they spawn um is focused on sort of directing enemies into that uh to deal damage over time likewise with the flame behemoths you know setting enemies on fire and and with the frozen titans like you've got um a mech that turns itself into like you know as, as it fires a um basically a big block of ice and, and turns an enemy into an ice cube, it does the same to itself. And at first you're like, wow, that seems really useless because then I have to sp- spend a turn like breaking him out of ice to make him usable again. But then you sort of discover, well, then I've also got a, this tank that fires in like two opposite directions simultaneously. So if I position my ice cube mech, I fire that first and it, like the tank fires, breaks the guy out of the ice. And you like start seeing these little opportunities for syn- synergy and efficiency that the game doesn't instruct you on, of course, like doesn't, explicitly sort of tell you about um it's just a great feeling it, it it's the feeling of like you know being handed this uh these different problems and, and discovering as you play i really favor uh, sort of the you know like i favor karate almost like the 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 mech equivalent of karate or fencing or um you know jeet kundo or something because these these kind of these trios of mechs all kind of have different patterns and ways of moving and, and some are like more direct and some, some are like more defensive. Right. So I think part of the joy of playing the game has been just discovering that and discovering which styles are more natural to me. I had a friend who just got into the game and was sort of trying to figure out, you know, what she was supposed to be doing. Um, and she thought that the goal was for like, her development was to build up characters by, you know, getting as many experience points as she could, taking them into the time stream and then being stronger the next time. Like, no, the progression is more internal. It's figuring out the combos that work, uh, figuring out how to 
move the enemies so that they're in exactly the right place so that you you can use your weird attacks on them. And I think that it's very interesting given how transparent the game is about its mechanics that the most important thing is, you know, the strategies you made along the way. So much of the game is just it's 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 learning how the pieces move. It is they they tell you what it does and it shows you the effects. But yeah, I mean when I first got the mech who just pushes things in all four directions, one tile, I thought, wow, what a useless piece of crap. Yeah. What am I going to <laughs> what am I gonna do with this? Um and it took me a while to figure out, okay, this is the thing that I pair up with because it's teamed up into the squad with an art both of the other pieces of the squad also do a push. The artillery does a push. No, the, 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 the plane doesn't do a push. The plane drops the smoke, uh, the electric smoke. <laughs> the artillery does a push, and the leg poker, it has a better name than that, but I call it the leg poker, uh, it does a push in four directions. So it's figuring out how to... I mean, it, it is the combos. It is adding up those those pushes because the leg pusher doesn't do any damage unless it bumps into something or pushes something into water or into lava or whatever. It can't do any damage uh, unless it pushes something into another object. So it is a positioning tool. Um, and after a whole bunch of squads that were just about, that were about mostly, <coughs> yeah, they, they did pushing because pushing is a very important mechanic in this game. Pushing an enemy mech off of its tile onto another tile. That's a very key mechanic. Um, but having a unit that just does pushing and having all of these power-ups you can buy uh, at the end of an island. So when you complete an island, you're taken to a store and you can spend stuff on upgrades if you can afford to power them up. Um, so many of them are about pushing. And that's when you realize, oh, I've got to think about this game in a new way. I can't just think about this as damage because the first set of the first becks you get the first squad you have that's your straight damage traditional voltrons with guns type of uh mechs um and then they give you a lot more subtle stuff i haven't tried the the the, the judo one yet not even sure i've unlocked it yet um it sounds scary uh but there's you get a lot of little hints um, about how to use the weapons, how to use the mechs from that store by seeing the different weapons uh, in action. And when you install something, you get a chance to test it out, which I think is great. You have to test out your mech once you've upgraded it. You're taken to a sparring zone, and you get to see it perform in action and see how your weapons work. Now, in combat, it's a very different matter. Um... But having the opportunity to go to the mech dojo and try out your new uh, techniques is really good. Um, it's you know, there's so much scaffolding of learning, but also challenging. I mean, it, it it yes, it's absolutely clear. Yes, you have chances and ways to learn these, but it's about the practice, and that's really an excellent way to do it. I'm curious. I'd love to know which squads you guys have had the most success with. Uh, the first one. 
Yeah, riff, riff walkers. I've heard that a lot. I, I I just started using the Rustling Hulks, and I just I like breezed through. I think I hit three or four per- perfect islands. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're the ones that use the, the electric smoke, and I feel like I just got like mm-hmm. I got some really good upgrades along the way or something. I got one of those like little tanks you can throw out that pushes enemies around, sort of like a bonus unit. Yeah. Um, and I may have had like a good pilot paired with it. I guess that's like the extra layer. You can you, you know certain pilots that carry. You can choose one each time, as you mentioned to carry over to your next game pair really well with certain squads. Yeah, I had the most success with the electric hulks and then I got like I decided to buy the or the resting hulks with the electric smoke. Yeah. Uh and then I decided because I got like six achievements in one game, I decided to buy the most expensive squad when I should have bought like two or three other squads. It that that sort of stalled me out on uh unlocking more squads. Uh, what that is one of the sort of interesting metagame things about this is that the way you get more squads, which is kind of the prime metagame motivator, I guess, is that you uh, get achievements. Uh, each squad has achievements, and there are a lot of kind of general achievements through the game, like getting three perfect islands. Uh, and... Uh, it's interesting because I find myself as someone who is drawn to unlocking things as the main goal of playing games like this. Uh, I find myself drawn to trying to get as many achievements as possible, and instead of just trying to like finish the game with every squad, even though that would count, uh, and that sort of saps my motivation a little bit. One thing I do like about it, though, is the way that and other mechanical aspects of the game like the fact that you know if you lose you can you're restarting of course you can just play another game actually fold really elegantly into the story i guess right you know you're you're you have this sort of access to different timelines and if you make a mistake you know well abandon this one let's try again you know we're trying to preserve as much as humanity as possible. And I like that that also isn't very well explained. It's, it's, it's sort of left for you to decide like how that works and, and what, and what's, I guess like what the moral implications are there. And if you guys read um, the rock, paper, shotgun article by Alec Mir titled uh, why playing into the breach makes you history's greatest monster, but I really recommend it. If you're <laughs> uh, playing this game, it sort of digs into the moral implications of uh, time travel in this context. Um, oh, it's kind of a prestige. Is is he kind of saying like a prestige, like nightmare scenario where you're spawning entire worlds to die? Pretty much, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Particularly if you, uh, I don't know. It's Alex goes into a lot of a lot of detail there, but um, just the notion of that, like if you if you keep playing after a win, then like you're you're kind of a terrible person because you've you created a successful timeline. But anyway, I I, I just like that. The, I, I wasn't expecting also and kind of related to this. Um, I think the soundtrack's amazing. It's, it's by Ben Prunty. Uh, he, of course, did FTL soundtrack. I think it adds so much kind of grimness to the game. I mean, it, again, it's pixel art. It's fairly colorful, you know, maybe a little undertone. But, I, like, I felt the consequences of a, a building crashing down, just the little text pop-ups. Um, I wasn't expecting it to connect with this game emotionally in, in like little moments like that. I don't, I don't want to sort of be hyperbolic here, but you know, I, I felt 
like I, I truly wanted to save humanity and like there were, there are stakes and consequences. I don't know. You guys maybe. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like okay, <laughs> when you land on a map. Um, so like there's this one moment where right before we recorded, uh, I was landing on a map and every time the, your squad lands, um, the buildings all pop up little dialogue text where it's like, yay. You know, the, uh, God, what, what's your team called? Um, it depends on yeah. the squads. Uh, the rusting hulks are here or whatever. Right. And so people are cheering your arrival and like, yay, we're saved. And one of the buildings is like, dad, look. Yeah. And then like two turns down the road, that building gets like, the, like I can't save it. Like I've, mm-hmm. I've, I've botched something. Like I've ended up pushing a, to save a artillery gun. Uh, that frankly didn't need saving. Uh, but to save an artillery gun, I push uh, an enemy unit into a position where it's going to attack that building. And you see the people in the building, the dialogue text pops up and it's like, it says, like, oh, looks, looks like our luck has run out. And I just felt like such complete trash, right? Because it's like this. That your pilot's like, it had to be done. Yeah. Well, it's also apparently Chris Avalon was the writer on this game. I don't know if he wrote everything, but he was uh, he's part of the project. That was interesting and surprising to me, um, considering there's not a lot of text in the game. Uh, but about you know about these characters, a lot of them seem to be AI or robots or androids. It's not again it's, isn't perfectly clear, but they they have kind of sort of text prompts like you know processing, you know command three hundred and forty nine or something like that. You know they'll, they'll say robot type stuff. And, but that in of itself is such an amazingly efficient, like economical expression of the like dire state of humanity that we're sending robots. Like there must not be people left or, or something. There must be very few people left that, you know, we're, we're sending these androids, these robots back in through time to save us. And, and you can actually save the game. You can, you can beat the game, right? With zero pilots in your mechs. So, like all your pilots can die and the mechs are still pilotable. Um, so you can basically win. You can save humanity with autopilot, which I think is just hilarious <laughs> and weird, <laughs> right? I, I forget what I forget what like the end screen like credits message is, uh, but it's something clever when that happens. We should talk a little bit about the um, decision, like when to abandon a run, and sort of the the trade offs of uh, sort of quitting out, right? Because like. Over the course of a campaign, over the course, sorry, over the course of a uh, timeline, your entire squad can like improve and get upgrades uh, and and get a better better mech, um, but only one person gets to go back through into the future uh, to cr- to get a chance to begin another timeline. Um, I'm just curious, like, what did you guys make of that entire uh, value proposition a- as well? Like, did you did it change how you were you were like customizing your squad and building it out over the course of a run? I think part of part of the reason it didn't for me was that uh, you have like one hero character and two randos. Mm-hmm. And it always makes more sense to bring the hero character because his or her level up or its level up abilities are significantly stronger than the others. Um, They tend to get like, they level up and they get uh, plus two move, which is fine. 
but your one of the heroes levels up, they get like extra armor or something like that. That's really way better. Um, so the only time that actually became an issue was when you, you got like a you rescue someone from a pod, so you have two hero characters in your in your party at once. Um, but it, it it usually seemed like the choice was fairly obvious to me. From a strategic perspective, I tended to put my veteran characters in, at the start of a new game in my mech that does the least or zero damage, right? Because hmm. you earn experience points by killing, getting kills. So the ones that are more positional are less likely to earn kills. So in that way, I'm sort of setting up the newcomers to, er, to level up faster, typically. I also, I, I guess I also like I don't know. It's it's fun for me to carry over one. This I, I carry over the same guy for probably my first ten or twelve attempts. I just liked the kind of meta narrative of this guy's seen it all, and you know he's he's seen so many failures and maybe a couple of successes along the way, and he's just sort of doing what he can and probably really needs some sleep. It doesn't take that long to max out your character's experience, though. So yeah, you can do it in two islands. Typically, yeah. So I mean, it doesn't hurt to have a roster of pilots that you can, you know, choose from before you go out um, and start a new game. Um, I mean, for me, the tough decision is when to when to if if you abandon a rod midway through instead of losing it, whatever experience has been gained, you don't lose, and then you can start your new run again, uh, as opposed to you know, oh, everyone died, that doesn't count. Back to the timeline. At least that's how I that's how I think it works, right? That's always an interesting choice there with new pilots is do I push through or do I save what I've got for I can't even think of any of their names. Yeah, I have very little connection to the pilots at all. Um, it's, I don't think they figure into my strategic thinking or tactical planning very much uh, in any way. Uh, beyond, okay, they, they, but what bonuses do they have? We'll fit them in. Um, which of these pilots has already maxed out an experience? Maybe I want someone better down the line, so I'll take someone with less experience. And then, yeah, who, who pops through in the time pods that I rescue? Um, which took a while to figure how they it took a while to figure how time how time pods worked, which kind of bothered me. Uh, oh, t- you mean tide pods? The, time the time pods, time pods, t- not tide yes. pods. They're tasty. Yeah. That's, that's all I know. filled uh, gifts from the sky through time. <laughs> because it, it took, how, how many have you rescued for humanity? I have so many. Uh, so tasty. Uh, time pods are little things that can land on your map, and inside them there are power cores, which give you more energy, and occasionally another weapon or another pilot. They're great. You want to pick them up. However, if uh, an alien bumps into them, they get the time pods wiped out. If you are pushed over them, it gets wiped out. But if you step on it intentionally, it is saved. It took me, I think, three or four runs before I realized there was a difference between being pushed on it accidentally and stepping on it intentionally. Yeah. Uh, I, said, I was <laughs> avoiding it entirely. I was, okay, I had to stay away from that. The first couple of time pods, I got pushed on it, pushed on by accident, and ended up dying. Okay, my max can't step on the time pods or they get destroyed. That's what I thought was going on because I'm an idiot. So I was playing a lot of maps, just avoiding the time pods completely uh, instead of making my job much harder uh, than it should have been. But I should have just stepped on it first thing uh, and rescued whatever was inside. 
Well, it's, it's funny. I, I've actually, I've taken the opposite strategy where from what I can tell, the AI has never deliberately stepped on a, a time pod in my match. No. So it almost becomes this like denial tile, right? So if, right. I, if I just keep it in, if I keep it in play, I can sort of perhaps construct my move around, okay, I know they're not going to move there. So I can fire in this direction or whatever, like this on fire or something. So, so I've been able a couple cases to, to kind of use that to my advantage. It feels okay. like, but huh. it, it, it is a nice wild card and it's always, it sort of shakes things up when, when they arrive on the scene, like a loot box from the sky. How did, uh, <laughs> in, in terms of it, gone, it, it is interesting because the way that like, when you get the time pod, you click on it to open it. And then you see what you've got is very like psychological loot box. Uh, cause that's one of the things that the loot box designers do is they want to like have the animation that builds anticipation before you get your rewards. I don't know. I just thought that was interesting in a game that doesn't have much flair that you actually get that little box opening animation. Um, one of the other things that I've really enjoyed is just the degree to which uh, the maps become tactical elements in themselves. Um, there's various sort of weather effects and because the world is even setting aside the VEC, uh, sort of going full locust on humanity and, and wiping everyone out, uh, like the ruined environment, climate change, like humanity is down to a couple islands that are slowly being eroded by the ocean anyway. Um, and so you're getting a lot of like weird weather. Uh, that plays a useful role in combat. So, like, there are some missions where, um, you know, every turn a tsunami rolls in and wipes out an entire row of tiles. Um, so what are you going to do with that? Like, you are literally, like, by the time the map is over, about half of it is going to be underwater. Um, or there are maps where... Uh, there's like deadly lightning storms uh, blowing through. Um, I think that was one of the other things that I really enjoyed here is just the degree to which, um, in addition to like mastering sort of how my squad was supposed to work together and how it was supposed to operate, I also really loved just like when I saw certain map conditions were in play, I would get this excitement because it was like, almost like having an extra mech or like having a different squad on the mission with you. Cause it was like, okay, well I know what I'm going to do to take advantage of this now. Like, Oh, it's lightning storms. I know exactly the combo effects uh, that I'm going to try to leverage here to really screw over the enemy. Um, I guess I'm, I'm just curious, like what you guys made of uh, the environmental effects and, and did you feel there was enough of them? Well, I love that you can peek at the boards before you pick what mission I think that's really a terrific little piece of design. It could maybe even be more explicit within the UI. So right when you're looking at these different islands, you have a choice between, you know, two or three, perhaps different missions you can go on, you click on them and you get this sort of miniaturized version of the board state, you know, sort of, is there, are there any water tiles, you know, other, is there a volcano? Is there acid? All this kind of stuff. And you're like, okay, well, actually, okay. Knowing that I'm going to reconfigure my abilities or my, 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 PowerPoints basically reallocate that stuff to be able to move greater distance and stuff like that. So I, I think that's a, a point in the strategy column versus puzzle if we're still having that discussion. Yeah, I mean, I like um, one of my favorite things is the is the destroy the dam mission. 
and you know you just push all the aliens, all the ground aliens, or pull or pull them. Careful. There are also you can pull your enemy with some mechs. Uh, pull them into the path of the uh, dam, then blow up the dam, and then kill three or four enemies just like that. Setting up the big kills is really kind of cool. Um, just pulling it off, even if it's not the most efficient way to do it, it really looks cool when you can kill a whole bunch of things at once. Um, and then that also ends up taking away a lot of the map for from the enemy. They won't cross over that, generally. Um, some of the flying things will. Um, there are, there's the alien that boosts health, and what do you do with that? That's not exactly a that's not a, a climate issue or a weather issue or a map issue, but it does change how you look at the map. It changes um, how much damage you have to do and whether that becomes a priority. It really depends on the map you're on. Maybe you can just get away with letting that guy float around for a bit. Um, and maybe you want to leave him to the end, um, and you kill him, and he knocks everybody's health down by one, because it's just kind of special. Uh, the way the maps work, and the the, the oh the, the the terraform map, another one of my favorites, where you turn on a terraformer and it just nukes like eight tiles in front of it. Wonderful little weapon. It is another mech on the field. Yeah, that's a great payoff because so often in your mission, it's like, okay, this tiny like. I'm going to call it a baby spider. It's actually a giant within within, <laughs> within the context of the game, right? Um, but this tiny, like, one HP spider is is my doom, and I cannot figure out how to kill it on this turn. I have to, like, deal with him somehow. And then this other mission that you're referencing, Troy, you have a acid-spitting launcher or a terraformer that can just wipe out four or three different enemies simultaneously insta-kill them. I love that Into the Breach is willing to, yes, as, as much as like there's these moments of intricate strategy, just like allow you those moments of just total destruction and wipe the feeling of wiping out, you know, getting a multi-kill practically. Uh, it's also very achievable with the Blitzkrieg squad where you've got that, you know, chain electricity mech that can just do tons of damage simultaneously. I sort of reached a point where I was feeling disappointed with myself if I wasn't getting like good combos. Like, I don't know. There was an element of um, like almost fighting game mentality mm. when I when I was playing this game at times where it was like, look, you can just like chip these guys down if you want to, right? Like you you've you've sort of you did manage to get the job done. Congratulations, but like. I always felt like when I was just using direct attacks and sort of cleaning up that way, I always sort of felt like um, I was somehow blowing it, right? And I think this was one of the things that did sort of push me away from the game. It wasn't just that. It, wa it wasn't just... Um, it wasn't just this feeling of like, well, I could have done that better. But there was this persistent feeling that um, because it is so transparent... Um, I often, I, I didn't know quickly enough to use that handy uh, undo turn button uh, to, as to what I'd done wrong right. Uh, but there were a lot of moments where, like, I realized that I had, I'd botched a, I botched a mission. Uh, and I'd be, able to, I'd be able to get through it, maybe. Uh, but suddenly I'd lost my chance to have, you know, a flawless victory or, or even just a very clean one. Um, and that did put me, that did sort of 
send me back to um, some of the mentality that I get when I'm playing like a Panzer General game, uh, for instance, where I kind of stop enjoying just the journey through the game and I start obsessing over this idea that like, okay, but there was a right thing to do there, right? Like there was a way I was meant to handle that and I didn't. Uh, so maybe I should just restart this entire timeline and try again in a reality where I haven't screwed up yet, uh, which may be something to talk to the therapist about instead of like, you know, a game podcast. <laughs> but nevertheless, uh, it is a feeling I got while, while playing this game. No, I, I was going to go in this direction, too. Uh, I like everything about this game, but I'm not entirely certain that I like this game. Uh, just in terms of like the actual ways that I play it, which are uh, like feeling sort of just consistently disappointed and distracted a lot of the time when I'm playing it because I don't know. It, I don't know if it's exactly the same feeling you have, Rob, uh, but there is just sort of uh, this isn't quite right and I want it to be right feeling that I get with a lot of these like super elegant and simple games. Uh, it, it it could just be that I was in a bad mood for most of last week, but uh, yeah, it's it's a game that I really want to like a lot more than I do. And talking about it is in the individual pieces is always good, but uh, trying to figure out exactly why I have not gotten obsessed like Evan did is a little more difficult. I think that's totally valid. I guess I guess the way I respond to it is almost like I look at Into the Breach's margin margin for error as as, as one of its biggest achievements. It, it gives me the feeling that I'm allowed to make mistakes, right? I'm allowed to lose power grid. Your power grid is basically your life your life bar throughout your campaign or a playthrough. You know, you can take some hits, you can lose pilots, um, but there's also the feeling that there's always room to, to optimize a turn. There's always a little bit more efficiency I could get. I could deal one more damage. I could end my turn in a slightly better position. I could end my turn by blocking the spawn of a, a VEC on the next turn, right? So I, I love that in, in that, every move feels critical to me. And every, just, just like chess, you know, um, you know, turn three feels really, really important. It doesn't feel arbitrary. But at the same time, I'm allowed to make some mistakes and, and I can feel comfortable with that and I can absorb that blow. And I tweeted last night that this game brings out a lot of feelings in me, but it doesn't bring out a lot of joy. Um, it's not mm. a game that I feel I give it like it's almost cerebral. I mean, you I hear you guys are have emotional responses to the little people in the building, and they're just words to me. Maybe I'm the real monster. <laughs> um, this is a game that is. I, I love it. I think it's a great game. It's my favorite game of the year so far. Favorite strategy game, at least. But it's not a game that brings me a whole lot of, you know, wahoo, joy. I'm really thrilled about this. It can be, I get satisfaction. I get, you know, some grand cerebral pleasure out of things. But it doesn't give me any real... I got joy from FTL. You know, there's a... When, you know, you take down... Uh, the bad guy at the end when you unlock because unlocking uh, new uh, spaceships in that game was such a pain in the ass there was a lot of joy to actually yeah. doing that and exploring new things and there was a real 
sense of figuring out all the little adventure game stuff and what works and what doesn't. And there were, it was a much more sophisticated stuff going on. Um, FTL was a much better game for stories. I could tell people what I did in my FTL game. Like I would name my FTL crew members after my friends. And one of my friends, I ended up teleporting into a room that had no oxygen in it. And she died before the oxygen could get there, before I could get her back. And, she held out against me for a while in real life. Um, there were other you know, joy and cool moments in FTL that they're really I haven't found yet in this. As much as I love the game, I think it's a really, really good game, it's not a game that I can say makes me happy. Not that games have to make me happy. Many don't. Uh, does it make you feel clever? Does it make you feel clever, Troy, it, when you pull off like the, the perfect move? It though? makes me feel more clever than the, the, my most recent... Games of, of actual chess have. This game got me back into chess, and it's been an absolutely humiliating experience. Uh, this is much easier than chess. Um, it's, it's sometimes it made me feel clever, but it sometimes it made me feel stupid. Because I'm oh crap, I didn't read my other, sure. I didn't read the objectives right, and I gotta step on three. I have to block three monsters from coming up through the floor, and I didn't do that. <laughs> or oh, now I see how I could have gotten that extra kill for that extra command point. Um, and yeah, some of my great successes aren't through cleverness. It's just through, well, let's, this looks like it's going to work. Um, yeah, figuring out that I, the, the chain electricity guy and how he works, that's some, some cleverness. Figuring out how the leg spreader dude works uh, that's okay. That's great. That, 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 that's actually kind of cool. Not to know how to use this person. Um, but it isn't a game where I, I don't have I don't, I don't have a real emotional connection with it. Some of you guys are talking about, which I think is great for you. I mean, maybe I'm just a cold hearted mech pilot from the future. We've seen too much already. Um, and I, so, I, so of, of all the emotions this game gives me, it doesn't give me a lot of happiness, uh, which I think is kind of odd for a game that I really, really like. That's an, yeah, that's surprising to me because uh, like usually I find that satisfaction to be that satisfaction I do often find joyous, like kind of in itself. Right. Um, for me, like when like when when I am clicking with this game, when I feel like I'm playing it well, I do find it a joyous experience. It's just that too often I find myself dwelling on the gap between like my ideal turn and then the thing I actually just did, right? Like it kind of, kind of, you know, when you know you bombed a midterm uh, and you can like pick up the pieces, but like, you know, when you turn it in what you just did and what it means. Uh, but at least when the game is working, when I, or at least when I'm working well within the game, uh, I do find that to be incredibly satisfying like you know it, it, a hard to scratch itch that you know you, you suddenly get the little back back scratcher in there and it's perfect uh that's that that's a good turn for me it sort of reminds me of the recent civilization games in that i get everything that it's trying to do but there's just something that's not quite clicking for me and especially civ 6 sort of has that you want to like get that perfect city with all the districts in the right place feeling mm -hmm. that um 
in many ways, Civ Six is the opposite of this, and that there's a lot of things that kind of exist just to exist, where this game feels like it's really pared down and constrained. But in that one respect of this is a game that I respect without, well, I personally, for whatever emotional reason, am struggling to love. Uh, yeah, that that's a comparison that I, I feel, I'm feeling as we're talking about this. Come talk about your feelings on the three moves ahead. <laughs> what we're known for. That's those are our best shows. New games journalism is alive and well uh <laughs> on three moves ahead. Um I guess like I wonder if one of the like I so, I do sometimes increasingly wonder uh, on this show like we play we're, we're immersed in this stuff so often. We play so many games like this that like whether our reactions are um I don't know like whether we we are sometimes uh our calibrations are a little bit off right just because we're exposed to such a baseline of tactics games uh in general because like when i go on twitter and i just look at like a lot of other games people this thing seems to have broken through to a lot of people who typically aren't like i don't consider uh like deeply committed tactics or strategy players right like uh you know this is this is getting people hooked in a way i haven't seen people hooked since like xcom um so i i, I do kind of wonder if, if there's an, an element of that uh you know this is one of the things i was wondering about with like our reactions to civ 6 uh as well but at the same time like i can sort of see like i can sort of see why this would leave people cold uh I think another uh, the other part of this is there isn't much like it's it's a it's sort of a minimalist presentation like in terms of the way the fiction is presented uh the the art I don't think there's a ton that it gives you uh to resonate with but if it connects with you it'll really connect I you know but I'm I'm not sure it's as I'm not sure it's as universal as as it might be for me like I start getting on board with this thing uh, from the cannibal like splash screen. <laughs> People are responding to it very well, but it's, but it's kind of like I mean so did FTL. I mean FTL really broke out of the roguelike space, whatever the roguelike space is or was. Um, these guys make very tight, clean experiences that anybody can, you know, respond well to. Um, so I'm not surprised that this one turned out to be a strategy, you know, quite popular with a general wider uh, gaming audience. Now, how many of them actually stick with it? I don't know. Uh, but I know people who are unlocking more things than I am. Um, it's, yeah, I've got other things to do. Uh, but also, it's, you know, it's it, it so it's great. Now, some people are, are bouncing off of it hard. Some people are playing it and just not seeing what the big deal is. So it's a good thing. It's a small game um, that you don't have to dig too, you don't have to dig too far in before you realize if you like it or not, which is good. Um, but I'm, it is, the, it is the kind of, you know, it's kind of built for a mass audience. It's a tactics game that, I mean, so, so but, you know, XCOM had all the flash and all the, great style and you know really smart battles and the thing that everybody loves missing those 98% shots i mean everyone can res- everyone can respond to that um everyone knows what that feels like and it's and it also has you know it's a formidable name it's Firaxis. it has 
it's everywhere. XCOM was everywhere. And this is everywhere on a smaller scale. The way that FTL was everywhere on a smaller scale. Now, if you play FTL, are you then going to go back and play, you know, Angband? Or are you going to play, you know, an action roguelike? Are you going to be a spelunky person? No, of course not. F FTL is its own thing. It's a strategy roguelike set in space with some great storytelling elements that you can, you can start up and you can put down. And it's... It's it, it, and this is the same thing. It's, you can start and you can put down. It is not the kind of game I can play for hours and hours and hours in a row because I do get frustrated and the resentment builds up and I hate myself. So I put it away and I pick, come back to it later. And because it has such short, short sessions, it, it is the kind of game I think a lot of people will respond to or not very and decide very quickly. I'm very happy that most people are responding to it, at least on my Twitter feed. Most people are responding to it very well. <laughs> Yeah, which is, yeah, which is good. And, and you touched on something right there that's increasingly valuable to me as I get older, Troy. The game totally respects my time, yeah. and it's also very segmented, right? Yep. I can it boots up instantly. You know, I can I can jump in within ten seconds and be playing my first turn. Um, and likewise, I can just quit out, quits instantly. Alt tabs wonderfully. It actually opens in a window by default. They have to like resize. So I don't know. As as I get into my mid thirties, I guess. I, uh, I really care about that stuff increasingly. The ability to just make dinner while I'm playing this game and stuff well, like that. I think this is the other element of it, though. I think part of it is that, just in general, uh, a lot of our generation of players are aging. Uh, and life continues to get busier for, for everybody. Uh, but I also think, like, just in general, like games have always been kind of a long form entertainment uh, in, in some ways. But now we're in this weird place of like so many games are designed to have little sessions, but they're also designed to be kind of endless. Right. Like the sheer number of open world games that like, yeah, I can launch into any of them and do a mission or two, but to actually make progress in terms of whatever the narrative is or to continue the campaign. Uh, I really need to figure out, like, I need to remember a lot of stuff, like what was I up to, what's going on. Uh, it's, it's a big commitment. So, like, every time I look at a lot of games, and the same is true of strategy games, like, you know, if, if I get away from a Stellaris game or an EU4 game or, um, you know, Total War game for a couple weeks, um, I kind of don't want to get back into it because now I've got to, like, remember what the history of my game is and what the hell my intentions were and what I was up to. Um, and that's just getting more and more games are kind of demanding that kind of like attention. Uh, there's something really nice about a game like this that lets you have a complete experience, uh, you know, in each session. And it kind of feels like in some ways we're getting more and more, uh, susceptible to games like this, uh, not to sound pejorative about it, but like um, games like this are filling an increasing need, I think, for for a game that you can sort of comprehend the entirety of it in a single session and like play with all the parts and then quit out because so many games now are really spread out over hours and hours and a million little decisions that add up into something big. So I think that's both a strength and a weakness. It's kind of the core, bigger design tension in Into the Breach. Uh, 
one of the de- designers of uh, Invisible Ink wrote a Medium post about it that uh, discussed kind of the how should progression work in a game like this and its kind of default campaign length of like 90 minutes or so um, puts it in a very odd place where it becomes kind of difficult to figure out exactly what makes for good progression, what makes you feel really satisfied or even joyous about uh, finishing a game of Into the Breach or getting to the end or failing or or all those things um, versus if it were like an eight-hour campaign or if it were like a half-hour campaign. Um, And I don't think there is actually a good answer. He had some potential answers that I didn't really like. Um, Like, uh, God, I can't even remember them now. Uh, See if I can get a link up somewhere. Um, But uh, when you have a game that's this length or a different length, there are going to be advantages and trade-offs. And one of those trade-offs that I think we see is that uh, most of, because most of the development that you do is conceptual in this game there's not a lot to hang your hat on for things going right except just that they're going right um and you're supposed to have them go right a bunch uh maybe you get some achievements but if you go achievement hunting then you become more likely to be disappointed um it it's this weird tension that i don't think could ever really be done exactly right this might be the best possible into the breach uh Maybe a four-hour into the breach would be the best possible into the breach, and maybe you would have to stop and go make dinner, and that's okay. Uh, but it's it's a weird thing that these roguelike style games or inspired games all seem to have, and they all can be off-putting in slightly different ways, and I'm not sure that's a problem that can ever be solved, and I genuinely like people making the attempt in different ways because you know sometimes invisible inks what like six hour campaign Mm -hmm. uh feels better um sometimes this one feels better sometimes a half hour game might feel better um so i'm curious like evan as we as we wrap up here here though i'm curious why do you think this game has gotten so under your skin like the impression i get is is like this is something that you find yourself thinking about a lot like the something about the types of puzzles this game is presenting you with uh have ever really resonated uh and, I, and i'm curious like you know as, as we as we sort of wrap up here for the night like what why what why do you think so many people are finding uh into the breach like uniquely appealing mm. Yeah, I mean, if I had to pin it on a couple things, it's certainly the fact that, you know, your opponent's moves are revealed to you. So all that information is is presented and it's just a matter of you you have sort of an infinite resource of time. And yeah, it can be frustrating and, and sort of disheartening and you're struggling and you can't figure out uh, what to do on this move. But there's no uncertainty about what's going to happen. The game eliminates uncertainty. Uh, you know, I, I guess it relies on you interpreting the rules correctly, but uh, that's a good aspect of it. Um, for me personally, I've, I've just really connected with in the strangest way, the, the thematics kind of inter integrated with the mechanics of the game, you know, the, the time travel aspect, how, um, again, how the, the dour mood of the game, you know, it, it's, 
I don't, I don't think a pilot ever says anything sort of like an action, like an eighties action movie hero. Like that, that's such a good opportunity because you've got these, you know, different portraits, different kind of personalities. They don't call out catchphrases and stuff like that. It's always sort of about like, man, humanity is doomed. And like, we're just kind of doing the best we can. And let's, let's save like a few thousand people today. And that'll, that'll be enough. Um, so that really stuck with me for some reason. Again, I would, I would point people to Alex's uh, story about the moral implications of time travel in this game over on Rock, Paper, Shotgun <laughs> from earlier this month. Really interesting stuff. Um, so, and, and I guess finally, I've just deeply enjoyed the way the game hands me these very asymmetrical implements um, in the different squads, right? They're, you know, they have a direct... Um, analog in the different ships of ftl you know the drone ship operates totally differently than the kestrel which you start the game with right feels very different in terms of the kind of gymnastics and 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 kind of movement style that you have to configure your guys into and then the way you have to learn to fight and i found that very pleasant um just making discoveries along the way as i think troy was talking about like being handed a unit that is just totally foreign to you. It's just sort of like being handed, you know, okay, you're going to fight this battle. Here's a spatula, a blowtorch, and some bubble gum, right? And like, well, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> like, okay, I get, I get the blowtorch. I can light guys on fire. And you're like, oh, wait, if I, if I use the spatula and this and that way, and, you know, and then you try out a new set of guys, and it's like, okay, here's a trampoline and a blowhorn and some 7-Up, right? And you're like, okay, cool, great. Um, I'll figure this out. And, yeah, like, you know, you, you fail a bunch. And then by the third mission, you're like, holy smokes, I, I have like these, I'm most comfortable with these guys. Like, I don't want to use anybody else and I'm going to get all the achievements. Um, so I, I think that feeling of discovery over time, I, again, I love games that don't tell you anything that don't hold your hand. I'm, I'm sure you guys share that attitude to some extent or in certain genres. Um, so that feeling of yeah, personal discovery and mastery over these, what, truly to me feel like different fighting styles like a like a fighting game or like martial arts or something in in the kind of different movements that they ask you to do and and the way that they combine together i think is really special um yeah so i'm I'm looking forward to i'm really hoping that they they choose to expand in this game too that 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 is maybe uh one area where i'm disappointed i feel like Although I've learned recently that there are some secret pilots, I won't reveal anything further. Um, but but there's some cool stuff going on there. Um, I, th- I think in order for the game to kind of remain relevant beyond you know a couple a year or two or something, which kind of speaks to the lifespan of games today, uh, it would be great to just see you know a new island. The game is very modular. I think it lends itself to expansion really well. So hopefully we'll see something meaningful in the future. Cool. Uh, I think we will leave it there. Oh, well, actually, one last question for everybody. Um, who here managed to beat the game? I, I have. I mean, like, I mean, like, like, like win once one run. Yeah. 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 You've, you've won a timeline. Yes. Okay, cool. I have yet to, uh, yet to pull that off. Uh, I am curious, like, uh, for people like, did the end game affect your appreciation for, for the game as a whole? Because uh, this is something that came up when I was talking about it with Austin. Uh, one of my issues with FTL was, like, I loved the journey, hated the destination. Like, the fact that it, like, was a game that ultimately built up to a big, like, multi-stage boss battle, like, utterly left me cold. Uh, because really, like, it wasn't how my... It wasn't how I sort of con- conceived of the game. 
uh, which was basically just a hell for leather flight through the stars. Uh, and then it was like, well, actually, all this is about getting ready uh, for, uh, you know, f- for a battle at the end. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, like, did you find, like, the end game reframed everything you're supposed to do throughout the game? Like, did, did it change how you approached uh, earlier decisions? Or how did you find the end game? It didn't change much. I mean, that the the final end battle is a couple of stay alive for this many turns while we set while we set them up the bomb. Um, that's literally what <laughs> what happens. We're gonna <laughs> so true. Yeah, there's a there's a hive of things, and we're gonna drop a bomb, and you got to protect it uh, while we and so just survive. Um, it's not like FTL in that if you don't have the enemy in FTL is always the, it's always the same setup. Um, in FTL, it's always the same thing you've got to kill, and so your tactics might won't change a whole lot, even though your ship might change. So it's about how your ship will make those tactics work. Um, I never actually won. I think I only won FTL like once with one of the ships, and I was really bad at unlocking things uh, in FTL without cheating. Um, but no, I, I didn't. I haven't found yet that knowing how it ends changes how I respond to things. Now, apparently, it's easier if you go there. Is it easier or harder if you go there? Because you can go to the final island after completing two islands, three islands, or four islands. And it's supposed to be harder after four or after two. It, it scales. So I'm not sure exactly what it scales. It's probably. Because as you complete more islands, the enemies gain more hit points, and, you, and you're starting to see di- like more difficult styles of enemies. So I'm guessing it's merely that, right? But but I'm not sure. I, I feel like in I I think I've won four times, maybe in you know twenty something attempts or something. Who knows? I feel like it, it hinges a lot on. Well, first of all, I like that you can attempt the final mission essentially when you want. You know, yeah. after two, three, or four islands, so you have that opportunity to sort of. It's almost like a gambling decision, right? Like, okay, I'm in a pretty good state now, but if I get a couple more time pods and I get some more reputation, man, I, I can unlock this new ability and it's going to unlock this amazing synergy between these two mechs or whatever. I like that I have that choice, right? Like, you go early when you're perhaps your, um, you know, your 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 campaign life bar essentially is in a better state. You're like, okay, I, I know I can survive this. Um, but I guess one of my regrets about the final mission was that it didn't reflect you know the, the fact that it is like a static encounter mm-hmm. right is is kind of disappointing because so much of the fun of the game is the variability of the mission types that's throwing out you know here's a mission where you have to defend a train here's a mission where you have to protect this uh, piece of machinery here's a mission where you have to break robots or like encase robots in ice and then protect them while they're trying to shoot you you know really keeps you on your toes. So kind of knowing what to expect over time in that final mission has, has degraded the enjoyment. I, I wish, I mean, in an ideal world, you would make certain choices on certain islands or something that would sort of like be reflected in the final mission, right? I think that would be amazing. Like if you save the terraformer or whatever, then I don't know, you get a bonus or a certain enemy type comes into play or something like that. Um, I think that would have been a cool thing to consider, but I don't know. I mean, I felt great when I pulled it off the first time. I'll say that. Yeah, that was the time when I, the game clicked with me the most was getting into the final mission. Because uh, I, I was, you know, posting it on Twitter because I was excited to 
do this thing and like i got to a point where it's like all right i have two power left there are you know six enemies attacking my power cables this thing is done it was a good run and then i stared at it for another minute and i'm like wait a minute i can get past this and that happened again and then i got to the very last turn and i counted up and there were seven ways that i was going to die if the enemy attacks were successful and i only had two mechs and i'm like there is no way in hell on this very last turn that I can actually make this work. And then I stared at it and I was like, wait, I can take out three of these. The volcano that you're doing this big fight in is going to take out two others of them. What the hell? Let's do it. And so I did that. And this was on um, a run that I had the, the resting hulks and one of their achievements to get is like by bonus power, uh, in order to, for whatever reason, I don't know why that achievement is tied to that one, but when you have max power, which is your your hit points for your campaign, um, and you buy extra power, you get little buffs to the amount of uh, the percentage chance that an enemy hitting your power won't actually kill it. So I still had... I, of those seven things that would have killed me instantly, I still had two enemies attacking, but I had a defense of 25%, and both of those fired, and I oh, won man. the game. And that was amazing. Like, just trying my very best, figuring out how to do shove away as much as possible, and getting that little tiny bit of randomness that's the only randomness in the game, aside from where enemies attack. I'm not sure how random that is. I think it's pretty random. Um, suddenly rear its head at the most opportune time was, uh, you know, that was a great feeling. And that's the point where I was like, oh, I really do genuinely like this game. And then, you know, I start again and I sort of have my <laughs> video game on Wii again. But, but it was, that was, those were some really cool moments. Like I had two or three of the, this is impossible. Wait, this is very possible. Yeah, video game on Wii is a uh, is is a larger theme. Well, that'll be one of our theme shows uh, that will that, that we'll do at some point in, in 2018. Uh, but I think that will do it for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week with more strategy discussion. Uh, Three Moves Ahead is produced as always by Michael Hermes and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. Uh, anyway, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for Evan, Troy, and Rowan, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight.